Section 8 of The Oxford Book of American Essays Chosen by Brander Matthews This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 8 But I am leaving my new acquaintance too long under the lamppost. The same Gano which had betrayed me to him revealed to me a well-set young man of about half my own age as well dressed so far as i could see as i was and with every natural qualification for getting his own livelihood as good if not better than my own he had been reduced to the painful necessity of calling upon me by a series of crosses beginning with the baden revolution for which i own he seemed rather young but perhaps he referred to a kind of revolution practised every season at baden-baden continued by repeated failures in business for amounts which must convince me of his entire respectability and ending with our civil war during the latter he had served with distinction as a soldier taking a main part in every important battle with a rapid list of which he favoured me and no doubt would have admitted that impartial as jonathan wilde's great ancestor he had been on both sides had i baited him with a few hints of conservative opinions on a subject so distressing to a gentleman wishing to profit by one's sympathy and unhappily doubtful as to which way it might lean for all these reasons and as he seemed to imply for his merit in consenting to be born in germany he considered himself my natural creditor to the extent of five dollars which he would handsomely consent to accept in greenbacks though he preferred specie the offer was certainly a generous one and the claim presented with an assurance that carried conviction but unhappily i had been led to remark a curious natural phenomenon if i was ever weak enough to give anything to a petitioner of whatever nationality it always rained decayed compatriots of his for a month after post hoc ergo propter hoc may not always be safe logic but here i seemed to perceive a natural connection of cause and effect now a few days before i had been so tickled with a paper professedly written by a benevolent american clergyman certifying that the bearer a hard-working german had long suffered with rheumatic pains in his limps that after copying the passage into my notebook i thought it but fair to pay a trifling honorarium to the author i had pulled the string of the shower-bath it had been running shipwrecked sailors for some time but forthwith it began to pour teutons redolent of lager beer i could not help associating the apparition of my new friend with this series of otherwise unaccountable phenomena i accordingly made up my mind to deny the debt and modestly did so pleading a native bias towards impecuniosity to the full as strong as his own he took a high tone with me at once such as an honest man would naturally take with a confessed repudiator he even brought down his proud stomach so far as to join himself to me for the rest of my townward 
walk that he might give me his views of the american people and thus inclusively of myself i know not whether it is because i am pigeon-livered and lack gall or whether it is from an overmastering sense of drollery but i am apt to submit to such bastings with a patience which afterwards surprises me being not without my share of warmth in the blood perhaps it is because i so often meet with young persons who know vastly more than i do and especially with so many foreigners whose knowledge of this country is superior to my own however it may be i listened for some time with tolerable composure as my self-appointed lecturer gave me in detail his opinions of my country and its people america he informed me was without arts science literature culture or any native hope of supplying them we were a people wholly given to money-getting and who having got it knew no other use for it than to hold it fast i am fain to confess that i felt a sensible itching of the biceps and that my fingers closed with such a grip as he had just informed me was one of the effects of our unhappy climate but happening just then to be where i could avoid temptation by dodging down a by-street i hastily left him to finish his diatribe to the lamp-post which could stand it better than i that young man will never know how near he came to being assaulted by a respectable gentleman of middle age at the corner of church street i have never felt quite satisfied that i did all my duty by him in not knocking him down but perhaps he might have knocked me down and then the capacity of indignation makes an essential part of the outfit of every honest man but i am inclined to doubt whether he is a wise one who allows himself to act upon his first hints it should be rather i suspect a latent heat in the blood which makes itself felt in character a steady reserve for the brain warming the ovum of thought to life rather than cooking it by a too hasty enthusiasm in reaching the boiling point as my pulse gradually fell back to its normal heat i reflected that i had been uncomfortably near making a fool of myself a handy salve of euphism for our vanity though it does not always make it a just allowance to nature for her share in the business what possible claim had my teutonic friend to rob me of my composure i am not i think specially thin-skinned as to other people's opinions of myself having as i conceive later and fuller intelligence on that point than anybody else can give me life is continually weighing in very sensitive scales and telling every one of us precisely what his real weight is to the last grain of dust whoever at fifty does not rate himself quite as low as most of his acquaintance would be likely to put him must be either a fool or a great man and i humbly disclaim being either but if i was not smarting in person from any scattering shot of my late companion's combination why should i grow hot at any implication of my country therein 
surely her shoulders are broad enough if yours or mine are not to bear up under a considerable avalanche of this kind it is the bit of truth in every slander the hint of likeness in every caricature that makes us smart art thou there old truepenny how did your blade know its way so well to that one loose rivet in our armour i wondered whether americans were over-sensitive in this respect whether they were more touchy than other folks on the whole i thought we were not plutarch who at least had studied philosophy if he had not mastered it could not stomach something herodotus had said about boeotia and devoted an essay to showing up the delightful old traveller's malice and ill-breeding french editors leave out of montaigne's travels some remarks of his about france for reasons best known to themselves pacodematus deutschland covered with trophies from every field of letters still winces under that question which pere bouhours put two centuries ago si ou element peut entre bel esprit john bull grew apoplectic with angry amazement at the audacious persiflage of puckler muscow to be sure he was a prince but that was not all of it for a chance phrase of gentle hawthorne sent a spasm through all the journals of england then this tenderness is not peculiar to us console yourself dear man and brother whatever else you may be sure of be sure at least of this that you are dreadfully like other people human nature has a much greater genius for sameness than for originality or the world would be at a sad pass shortly the surprising thing is that men have such a taste for this somewhat musty flavour that an englishman for example should feel himself defrauded nay even outraged when he comes over here and finds a people speaking what he admits to be something like english and yet so very different from or as he would say to those he left at home nothing i am sure equals my thankfulness when i meet an englishman who is not like every other or i may add an american of the same odd turn certainly it is no shame to a man that he should be as nice about his country as about his sweetheart and who ever heard even the friendliest appreciation of that unexpressive she that did not seem to fall infinitely short yet it would hardly be wise to hold every one an enemy who could not see her with our own enchanted eyes it seems to be the common opinion of foreigners that americans are too tender upon this point perhaps we are and if so there must be a reason for it have we had fair play could the eyes of what is called good society though it is so seldom true either to the adjective or noun look upon a nation of democrats with any chance of receiving an undistorted image were not those moreover who found in the old order of things an earthly paradise paying them quarterly dividends for the wisdom 
of their ancestors with the punctuality of the seasons unconsciously bribed to misunderstand if not to misrepresent us whether at war or at peace there we were a standing menace to all earthly paradises of that kind fatal underminers of the very credit on which the dividends were based all the more hateful and terrible that our destructive agency was so insidious working invisible in the elements as it seemed active while they slept and coming upon them in the darkness like an armed man could laius have the proper feelings of a father toward oedipus announced as his destined destroyer by infallible oracles and felt to be such by every conscious fibre of his soul for more than a century the dutch were the laughing stock of polite europe they were butterfirkins swillers of beer and schnapps and their vrouns from whom holbein painted the all but loveliest of madonnas rembrandt the graceful girl who sits immortal on his knee in dresden and rubens his abounding goddesses were the synonyms of clumsy vulgarity even so late as irving the ships of the greatest navigators of the world were represented as sailing well stern foremost that the aristocratic venetians should have riveted with gigantic piles thorough the centre their new cached miles was heroic but the far more marvellous achievement of the dutch in the same kind was ludicrous even to republican marvel meanwhile during that very century of scorn they were the best artists sailors merchants bankers printers scholars jurisconsults and statesmen in europe and the genius of motley has revealed them to us earning a right to themselves by the most heroic struggle in human annals but alas they were not merely simple burghers who had fairly made themselves high mightinesses and could treat on equal terms with anointed kings but their commonwealth carried in its bosom the germs of democracy they even unmuzzled at least after dark that dreadful mastiff the press whose scent is or ought to be so keen for wolves in sheep's clothing and for certain other animals in lions skins they made fun of sacred majesty and what was worse managed uncommonly well without it in an age when periwigs made so large a part of the natural dignity of man people with such a turn of mind were dangerous how could they seem other than vulgar and hateful in the natural course of things we succeeded in this unenviable position of general butt the dutch had thriven under it pretty well and there was hope that we could at least contrive to worry along and we certainly did in a very redoubtable fashion perhaps we deserved some of the sarcasm more than our dutch predecessors in office we had nothing to boast of in arts or letters and were given to bragging overmuch of our merely 
material prosperity do quite as much to the virtue of our continent as to our own there was some truth in carlyle's sneer after all till we had succeeded in some higher way than this we had only the success of physical growth our greatness like that of enormous russia was greatness on the map barbarian mass only but had we gone down like that other atlantis in some vast cataclysm we should have covered but a pin's point on the chart of memory compared with those ideal places occupied by tiny attica and cramped england at the same time our critics somewhat too easily forgot that material must make ready the foundation for ideal triumphs that the arts have no chance in poor countries and it must be allowed that democracy stood for a great deal in our shortcoming the edinburgh review never would have thought of asking who reads a russian book and england was satisfied with iron from sweden without being impertinently inquisitive after her painters and statuaries was it that they expected too much from the mere miracle of freedom is it not the highest art of a republic to make men of flesh and blood and not the marble ideals of such it may be fairly doubted whether we have produced this higher type of man yet perhaps it is the collective not the individual humanity that is to have a chance of nobler development among us we shall see we have a vast amount of imported ignorance and still worse of native ready-made knowledge to digest before even the preliminaries of such a consummation can be arranged we have got to learn that statesmanship is the most complicated of all arts and to come back to the apprenticeship system too hastily abandoned at present we trust a man with making constitutions on less proof of competence than we should demand before we gave him our shoe to patch we have nearly reached the limit of the reaction from the old notion which paid too much regard to birth and station as qualifications for office and have touched the extreme point in the opposite direction putting the highest of human functions up at auction to be bid for by any creature capable of going upright on two legs in some places we have arrived at a point at which civil society is no longer possible and already another reaction has begun not backwards to the old system but towards fitness either from natural aptitude or special training but will it always be safe to let evils work their own cure by becoming unendurable every one of them leaves its taint in the constitution of the body politic each in itself perhaps trifling but altogether powerful for evil but whatever we might do or leave undone we were not genteel and it was uncomfortable to be continually reminded that though we should boast that we were the great west till we were black in the face it did not bring us an inch nearer to the world's west end that sacred enclosure of respectability was tabooed 
to us. The Holy Alliance did not inscribe us on its visiting list. The old world of wigs and orders and liveries would shop with us, but we must ring at the area bell and not venture to awaken the more august clamours of the knocker. Our manners, it must be granted, had none of those graces that stamp the caste of Verdiver in whatever museum of British antiquities they may be hidden. In short, we were vulgar. This was one of those horribly vague accusations, the victim of which has no defence. An umbrella is of no avail against a Scotch mist. It envelops you, it penetrates at every pore, it wets you through without seeming to wet you at all. Vulgarity is an eighth deadly sin added to the list in these latter days, and worse than all the others put together, since it perils your salvation in this world, far the more important of the two in the minds of most men. It profits nothing to draw nice distinctions between essential and conventional, for the convention in this case is the essence, and you may break every command of the decalogue with perfect good breeding, nay, if you are adroit without losing caste. We indeed had it not to lose, for we had never gained it. How am I vulgar? asks the culprit shudderingly. Because thou art not like unto us, answers Lucifer, son of the morning, and there is no more to be said. The god of this world may be a fallen angel, but he has us there. We were as clean, so far as my observation goes. I think we were cleaner, morally and physically, than the English, and therefore, of course, than everybody else. But we did not pronounce the diphthong oo as they did, and we said either and not either, following therein the fashion of our ancestors, who unhappily could bring over no English better than Shakespeare's. And we did not stammer, as they had learned to do, from the courtiers who in this way flattered the Hanoverian king, a foreigner among the people he had come to reign over. Worse than all, we might have the noblest ideas and the finest sentiments in the world, but we vented them through that organ by which men are led rather than leaders, though some physiologists would persuade us that nature furnishes her captains with a fine handle to their faces that opportunity may get a good purchase on them for dragging them to the front. This state of things was so painful that excellent people were not wanting who gave their whole genius to reproducing here the original bull, whether by gaiters, the cut of their whiskers, by a factious brutality in their tone, or by an accent that was forever tripping and falling flat over the tangled roots of our common tongue. Martyrs to a false ideal, it never occurred to them that nothing is more hateful to gods and men than a second-rate Englishman and for the very reason that 
this planet never produced a more splendid creature than the first-rate one witness shakespeare and the indian mutiny if we could contrive to be not too unobtrusively our simple selves we should be the most delightful of human beings and the most original whereas when the plating of anglicism rubs off as it always will in points that come to much wear we are liable to very unpleasing conjectures about the quality of the metal underneath perhaps one reason why the average briton spreads himself here with such an easy air of superiority may be owing to the fact that he meets with so many bad imitations as to conclude himself the only real thing in a wilderness of shams he fancies himself moving through an endless bloomsbury where his mere apparition confers honour as an avatar of the court end of the universe not a bull of them all but is persuaded he bears europa upon his back this is the sort of fellow whose patronage is so divertingly insufferable thank heaven he is not the only specimen of cater cousinship from the dear old mother island that is shown to us among genuine things i know nothing more genuine than the better men whose limbs were made in england so many tender so brave so true so warranted to wear they make us proud to feel that blood is thicker than water but it is not merely the englishman every european candidly admits in himself some right of primogeniture in respect of us and pats this shaggy continent on the back with a lively sense of generous unbending the german who plays the bass viol has a well-founded contempt which he is not always nice in concealing for a country so few of whose children ever take that noble instrument between their knees his cousin the phd from gottingen cannot help despising a people who do not grow loud and red over aryans and turanians and are indifferent about their descent from either the frenchman feels an easy mastery in speaking his mother tongue and attributes it to some native superiority of parts that lifts him high above us barbarians of the west the italian prima donna sweeps a curtsy of careless pity to the overfacile pit which unsexes her with the bravo innocently meant to show a familiarity with foreign usage but all without exception make no secret of regarding us as the goose bound to deliver them a golden egg in return for their cackle such men as agassiz guyot and goldwin smith come with gifts in their hands but since it is commonly european failures who bring hither their remarkable gifts and acquirements this view of the case is sometimes just the least bit in the world provoking to think what a delicious seclusion of contempt we enjoyed till california and our own ostentatious parvenu 
flinging gold away in Europe, that might have endowed libraries at home, gave us the ill repute of riches. What a shabby downfall from the Arcadia which the French officers of our Revolutionary War fancied they saw here through Rousseau-tinted spectacles. Something of Arcadia there really was, something of the old age, and that divine provincialism were cheaply repurchased, could we have it back again in exchange for the tawdry upholstery that has taken its place. For some reason or other, the European has rarely been able to see America except in caricature. Would the first review of the world have printed the niaiseries of Mr. Maurice Sand as a picture of society in any civilized country? Mr. Sand, to be sure, has inherited nothing of his famous mother's literary outfit except the pseudonym, but since the conductors of the review could not have published his story because it was clever, they must have thought it valuable for its truth. As true as the last century Englishman's picture of Jean Crapeau. We do not ask to be sprinkled with rose water, but may perhaps fairly protest against being drenched with the risings of an unclean imagination. The next time the review allows such ill-bred persons to throw their slops out of its first-floor windows, let it honestly preface the discharge with a gardez-l'eau that we may run from under in season. And Mr. Duvergier Doran, who knows how to be entertaining, I know le français est plutôt indiscret que confiant and the pen slides too easily when indiscretions will fetch so much a page. But should we not have been tant soit peu more cautious had we been writing about people on the other side of the channel? But then it is a fact in the natural history of the American, long familiar to Europeans, that he abhors privacy knows not the meaning of reserve, lives in hotels because of their greater publicity, and is never so pleased as when his domestic affairs, if he may be said to have any, are paraded in the newspapers. Barnum, it is well known, represents perfectly the average national sentiment in this respect. However it be, we are not treated like other people, or perhaps I should say like people who are ever likely to be met with in society. Is it in the climate? Either I have a false notion of European manners, or else the atmosphere affects them strongly when exported hither. Perhaps they suffer from the sea voyage like some of the more delicate wines. During our civil war an English gentleman of the highest description was kind enough to call upon me, mainly as it seemed, to inform me how entirely he sympathized with the Confederates, and how sure he felt that we could never subdue them. They were the gentlemen of the country, you know. Another, the first greetings hardly over, asked me how I accounted for the universal meagerness of my countrymen. 
to a thinner man than I, or from a stouter man than he, the question might have been offensive. The Marquis of Harrington Footnote One of Mr. Lincoln's neatest strokes of humor was his treatment of this gentleman when a laudable curiosity induced him to be presented to the president of the broken bubble. Mr. Lincoln persisted in calling him Mr. Partington. Surely the refinement of good breeding could go no further. Giving the young man his real name, already notorious in the newspapers, would have made his visit an insult. Had Henry the Fourth done this, it would have been famous. And a footnote wore a secession badge at a public ball in New York. In a civilized country he might have been roughly handled, but here, where the bienséances are not so well understood, of course nobody minded it. A French traveler told me he had been a good deal in the British colonies, and had been astonished to see how soon the people became Americanized. He added, with delightful bonhomie, and as if he were sure it would charm me, that they even began to talk through their noses just like you. I was naturally ravished with this testimony to the assimilating power of democracy, and could only reply that I hoped they would never adopt our democratic patent method of seeming to settle one's honest debts, for they would find it paying through the nose in the long run. I am a man of the new world, and do not know precisely the present fashion of Mayfair, but I have a kind of feeling that if an American, mutato nomine de te, is always frightfully possible, were to do this kind of thing under a European roof, it would induce some disagreeable reflections as to the ethical results of democracy. I read the other day in print the remark of a British tourist who had eaten large quantities of our salt. Such as it is, I grant it is not the European savour, that the Americans were hospitable, no doubt, but that it was partly because they longed for foreign visitors to relieve the tedium of their dead-level existence and partly from ostentation. What shall we do? Shall we close our doors? Not I, for one, if I should so have forfeited the friendship of L.S., most lovable of men. He somehow seems to find us human, at least, and so did Cloth, whose poetry will one of these days perhaps be found to have been the best utterance in verse of this generation. The fine old Tory aversion of former times was not hard to bear. There was something even refreshing in it, as in a nor'easter, to a hardy temperament. When a British parson, travelling in Newfoundland, while the slash of our separation was still raw, after prophesying a glorious future for an island that continued to dry its fish under the ages of St. George, glances disdainfully over his spectacles in parting at the USA, and forebodes for them a speedy relapse into barbarism, 
now that they have madly cut themselves off from the humanizing influences of Britain. I smile with barbarian self-conceit. But this kind of thing became by degrees an unpleasant anachronism. For meanwhile the young giant was growing, was beginning, indeed, to feel tight in his clothes, was obliged to let in a gore here and there in Texas, in California, in New Mexico, in Alaska, and had the scissors and needle and thread ready for Canada when the time came. His shadow looked like a brocane spectre over against Europe, the shadow of what they were coming to, that was the unpleasant part of it, even in such misty image as they had of him. It was painfully evident that his clothes were not of any cut hitherto fashionable, nor conceivable by a Bond Street tailor. And this in an age, too, when everything depends upon clothes, when, if we do not keep up appearances, the seeming solid frame of this universe, nay, your very God, would slump into himself, like a mockery king of snow, being nothing after all but a prevailing mode. From this moment the young giant assumed the respectable aspect of a phenomenon, to be got rid of if possible, but at any rate as legitimate a subject of human study as the glacial period or the Silurian what do you call ems If the man of the primeval drift-heaps be so absorbingly interesting, why not the man of the drift that is just beginning of the drift in whose irresistible current we are just being sucked whether we will or no. If I were in their place, I confess I should not be frightened. Man has survived so much, and contrived to be comfortable on this planet after surviving so much. I am something of a Protestant in matters of government also, and am willing to get rid of vestments and ceremonies and to come down to bare benches, if only faith in God take the place of a general agreement to profess confidence in ritual and sham. Every mortal man of us holds stock in the only public debt that is absolutely sure of payment, and that is the debt of the maker of this universe to the universe he has made. I have no notion of selling out my shares in a panic. It was something to have advanced even to the dignity of a phenomenon, and yet I do not know that the relation of the individual American to the individual European was bettered by it, and that, after all, must adjust itself comfortably before there can be a right understanding between the two. We had been a desert. We became a museum. People came hither for scientific and not social ends. The very cockney could not complete his education without taking a vacant stare at us in passing. But the sociologists, I think they call themselves so, were the hardest to bear. There was no escape. I have even known a professor of this fearful science to come disguised in petticoats. We were cross-examined as a chemist cross-examines a new substance. Human? Yes. All the elements are present, though abnormally combined. Civilized? Hmm. That needs a stricter assay. No entomologist 
could take a more friendly interest in a strange bug after a few such experiences i for one have felt that if i were merely one of those horrid things preserved in spirits and very bad spirits too in a cabinet i was not the fellow-being of these explorers i was a curiosity i was a specimen hath not an american organs dimensions senses affections passions even as a european hath if you prick us do we not bleed if you tickle us do we not laugh i will not keep on with shylock to his next question but one till after our civil war it never seemed to enter the head of any foreigner especially of any englishman that an american had what could be called a country except as a place to eat sleep and trade in then it seemed to strike them suddenly by jove you know fellows don't fight like that for a shop till no i rather think not to americans america is something more than a promise and an expectation it has a past and traditions of its own a descent from men who sacrificed everything and came hither not to better their fortunes but to plant their idea in virgin soil should be a good pedigree there was never colony save this that went forth not to seek gold but god is it not as well to have sprung from such as these as from some burly beggar who came over with wilhelm's conquestor unless indeed a line grow better as it runs farther away from stalwart ancestors and for our history it is dry enough no doubt in the books but for all that is of a kind that tells in the blood i have admitted that carlyle's sneer had a show of truth in it but what does he himself like a true scot admire in the hohenzollerns first of all that they were canny a thrifty four-handed race next that they made a good fight from generation to generation with the chaos around them that is precisely the battle which the english race on this continent has been carrying dotily on for two centuries and a half dotily and silently for you cannot hear in europe that crash that death song of the perfect tree that has been going on here from sturdy father to sturdy son and making this continent habitable for the weaker old world breed that has swarmed to it during the last century if ever men did a good stroke of work on this planet it was the forefathers of those whom you are wondering whether it would not be prudent to acknowledge as far-off cousins alas man of genius to whom we owe so much could you see nothing more than the burning of a foul chimney in that clash of michael and satan that flamed up under your very eyes before our war we were to europe but a huge mob of adventurers and shopkeepers they hunt expressed it well enough when he said that he could never think of america without seeing a gigantic counter stretched all along the seaboard feudalism had by degrees made commerce the great civilizer contemptible 
but a tradesman with a sword on thigh and very prompt of stroke was not only redoubtable he had become respectable also few people i suspect alluded twice to a needle in sir john hawkwood's presence after that doughty fighter had exchanged it for a more dangerous tool of the same metal democracy had been hitherto only a ludicrous effort to reverse the laws of nature by thrusting cleon into the place of pericles but a democracy that could fight for an abstraction whose members held life and goods cheap compared with that larger life which we call country was not merely unheard of but portentous it was the nightmare of the old world taking upon itself flesh and blood turning out to be substance and not dream since the norman crusader clanged down upon the throne of the porphyrogenti carefully draped appearances had never received such a shock had never been so rudely called on to produce their titles to the empire of the world authority has had its periods not unlike those of geology and at last comes man claiming kinship in right of his mere manhood the world of the saurians might be in some respects more picturesque but the march of events is inexorable and is bygone the young giant had certainly gone out of long clothes he had become the enfant terrible of the human household it was not and will not be easy for the world especially for our british cousins to look upon us as grown up the youngest of nations its people must also be young and to be treated accordingly was the syllogism youth has its good qualities as people feel who are losing it but boyishness is another thing we had been somewhat boyish as a nation a little loud a little pushing a little braggart but might it not partly have been because we felt that we had certain claims to respect that were not admitted the war which established our position as a vigorous nationality has also sobered us a nation like a man cannot look death in the eye for four years without some strange reflections without arriving at some clearer consciousness of the stuff it is made of without some great moral change such a change or the beginning of it no observant person can fail to see here our thought and our politics our bearing as a people are assuming a manlier tone we have been compelled to see what was weak in democracy as well as what was strong we have begun obscurely to recognize that things do not go of themselves and that popular government is not in itself a panacea is no better than any other form except as the virtue and wisdom of the people make it so and when men undertake to do their own kingship they enter upon the dangers and responsibilities as well as the privileges of the function above all it looks as if we were on the way to be persuaded that no government can be carried on by declamation it is noticeable also that facility of communication has made the best english and french thought far more directly operative here than ever before 
without being europeanized our discussion of important questions in statesmanship in political economy in aesthetics is taking a broader scope and a higher tone it had certainly been provincial one might almost say local to a very unpleasant extent perhaps our experience in soldiership has taught us to value training more than we have been popularly wont we may possibly come to the conclusion one of these days that self-made men may not be always equally skilful in the manufacture of wisdom may not be divinely commissioned to fabricate the higher qualities of opinion on all possible topics of human interest so long as we continue to be the most common-schooled and the least cultivated people in the world i suppose we must consent to endure this condescending manner of foreigners towards us the more friendly they mean to be the more ludicrously prominent it becomes they can never appreciate the immense amount of silent work that has been done here making this continent slowly fit for the abode of man and which will demonstrate itself let us hope in the character of the people outsiders can only be expected to judge a nation by the amount it has contributed to the civilization of the world the amount that is that can be seen and handled a great place in history can only be achieved by competitive examination nay by a long course of them how much new thought have we contributed to the common stock till that question can be triumphantly answered or needs no answer we must continue to be simply interesting as an experiment to be studied as a problem and not respected as an attained result or an accomplished solution perhaps as i have hinted their patronizing manner towards us is the fair result of their failing to see here anything more than a poor imitation a plaster cast of europe and are they not partly right if the tone of the uncultivated american has too often the arrogance of the barbarian is that not of the cultivated as often vulgarly apologetic in the american they meet with is there the simplicity the manliness the absence of sham the sincere human nature the sensitiveness to duty and implied obligation that in any way distinguishes us from what our orators call the effete civilization of the old world is there a politician among us daring enough except a dana here and there to risk his future on the chance of our keeping our word with the exactness of superstitious communities like england is it certain that we shall be ashamed of a bankruptcy of honor if we can only keep the letter of our bond i hope we shall be able to answer all these questions with a frank yes at any rate we would advise our visitors that we are not merely curious creatures but belong to the family of man and that as individuals we are not to be always subjected to the competitive examination above mentioned even if we acknowledged their competence as an examining board above all we beg them to remember that america is not to us as to them a mere object of external interest to be discussed and analyzed but in us part of our very marrow let them not suppose that 
we conceive of ourselves as exiles from the graces and amenities of an older date than we though very much at home in a state of things not yet all it might be or should be but which we mean to make so and which we find both wholesome and pleasant for men though perhaps not for dilettanti to live in the full tide of human existence may be felt here as keenly as johnson felt it at charing cross and in a larger sense i know one person who is singular enough to think cambridge the very best spot on the habitable globe doubtless god could have made a better but doubtless he never did it will take england a great while to get over her airs of patronage toward us or even passably to conceal them she cannot help confounding the people with the country and regarding us as lusty juveniles she has a conviction that whatever good there is in us is wholly english when the truth is that we are worth nothing except so far as we have disinfected ourselves of anglicism she is especially condescending just now and lavishes sugar-plums on us as if we had not outgrown them i am no believer in sudden conversions especially in sudden conversions to a favourable opinion of people who have just proved to you to be mistaken in judgment and therefore unwise in policy i never blamed her for not wishing well to democracy how should she but alabama's are not wishes let her not be too hasty in believing mr reverdy johnson's pleasant words though there is no thoughtful man in america who would not consider a war with england the greatest of calamities yet the feeling towards her here is very far from cordial whatever our minister may say in the effusion that comes after ample dining mr adams with his famous my lord this means war perfectly represented his country justly or not we have a feeling that we have been wronged not merely insulted the only sure way of bringing about a healthy relation between the two countries is for englishmen to clear their minds of the notion that we are always to be treated as a kind of inferior and deported englishmen whose nature they perfectly understand and whose back they accordingly stroke the wrong way of the fur with amazing perseverance let them learn to treat us naturally on our merits as human beings as they would a german or a frenchman and not as if we were a kind of counterfeit britain whose crime appeared in every shade of difference and before long there would come that right feeling which we naturally call a good understanding the common blood and still more the common language are fatal instruments of misapprehension let them give up trying to understand us still more thinking that they do and acting in various absurd ways as the necessary consequence for they will never arrive at that devoutly to be wished consummation till they learn to look at us as we are and not as they suppose us to be dear old long estranged mother-in-law it is a great many years since we parted since sixteen sixty when you married again you have been a stepmother to us 
put on your spectacles dear madam yes we have grown and changed likewise you would not let us darken your doors if you could help it we know that perfectly well but pray when we look to be treated as men don't shake that rattle in our faces nor talk baby to us any longer do child go to it grandam child give grandam kingdom and it grandam will give it a plum a cherry and a fig end of section eight